Father, we recognize that, that we all come here with our own, our own difficulties, our, our own struggles, our own fears, our own anxieties. And uh, Lord, we're here because we recognize that, um, that we're not strong enough to, to deal with them. And so we ask you to, to, to give us what we need uh, to live the life that you've called us to live. And give us strength to praise you when things are going well. Give us strength to praise you on the road marked with suffering. And give us strength to praise you when you give and give us strength to praise you when you take away. Uh, Father, that's why we're here this morning. Uh, we're here because we want to hear from you. We want you to strengthen us. We want you to guide us. We want you to lead us in paths of righteousness. And so, Father, that's why we come to your word now as well. Uh, we come because we know that you have the words of life. You have words of truth and guidance for us. And so we, we want to hear you speak to us this morning. And we want to hear you speak clearly and, and powerfully in our lives. So, Father, we ask that you would do that. And we know that, that we all come with various things that could distract us. We have things to do later today that could distract us, fears and anxieties. And, and Father, just push all those to the side because so, we want to hear you. And then we ask that you'd speak. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. So like I said, we're working through the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And so our passage is Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through 13. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to that. Um, otherwise, the passage will be up on the screen. And uh, we're really only looking at verse 13 today, but we'll read the whole prayer. Jesus said to his disciples, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. <clears throat> you know, I've mentioned uh, quite a few times that I have this love of studying history. There, there's something about uh, diving really deep into things and events of the past and, and really trying to figure out what it was like to live there. Try to kind of put yourself in their shoes and try to imagine what it would be to experience those things. And and I suppose it's because it's my own family, but I, have, I enjoy even more reading about the history of my own family. And uh, I, I've mentioned before that, you know, my great-grandpa and his two brothers uh, both served in, in World War II, or all three of them served in, in World War II. And so uh, because of that, I, I've done a lot of research on World War II, trying to understand what it was like for my great-grandpa and his two brothers to serve there. And uh, when you really start diving into what happened in World War II, it's, it's actually pretty shocking. It's even hard to, to comprehend uh, what actually happened. Um, I came across this uh, statistic. 
the other day. World War II was the largest and most violent military conflict in human history. Official casualty sources estimate battle deaths at nearly 15 million military personnel and civilian deaths at over 38 million. Okay, so 53 million deaths, uh, civilian, military, over a six-year period. Um, you know, that's, what, over 8 million a year. And uh, it's hard to just even get that in our brain, right? Uh, that much death. And then, um, to kind of add to that, my great-grandpa was part of the, the D-Day invasion and, and landed on Omaha Beach which took on uh, the greatest casualties of that whole invasion. And so you read stories about you're running up the beach and guys on the left and the right are dying. Uh, as you, they, they had estimated, it, it didn't end up being that bad, but they had estimated 75% casualties for that, for that battle. Um, it ended up being more like 10%, but that was still a lot. And so, like, if you look at pictures from that, you just kind of see bodies straying around, and you try to imagine, what, what was it like? Uh, what was it like to be there? Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty overwhelming to try to even imagine what that was like. And then, as I was kind of reading and studying that, kind of being, being overwhelmed by that picture, I came across this quote um, from an early church father. His name's John Chrysostom, so he lived 1,600 years ago, in the late 300s. And he describes this picture of war like, like I was just describing kind of on the D-Day invasion. Um, and then he says this, and I wish I would have got it up there, but there was a little mess up with slides. So you'll just have to, I'll read slowly and you can listen carefully. But here's what he said. He said, don't imagine I'm exaggerating or think that because we're shut up in this body like a prison and can see nothing of the invisible world that what I say is overstated. You would have seen a much vaster, much more terrifying conflict than this if you'd been able to see with these material eyes the devil's battle line and its furious onset. The devil's army has no bronze or steel, no horses or chariots or chariot wheels, no flames or missiles. It has none of this visible equipment, but it has other engines of war that are far more terrifying than these. Enemies of this sort don't need a breastplate or a shield or a sword or a spear, but the very sight of that accursed army is enough to make a man's heart fail him unless it's mighty stout and has the benefit of God's special providence even more than its own courage. If it were possible to strip off this body or even to keep it on and see clearly and undismayed with naked eye the devil's whole battle line and the warfare he wages against us, you'd see no torrents of blood, no dead bodies, but so many spiritual corpses in such horrible wounds that you would think all that picture of warfare which I just described to you as mere child's play and sport rather than war. So many there are every day who perish. It's a reminder for us that, that we are right now um, in the midst of a war. And, and it's a war that's much more significant than we like to imagine. 
Um, and, and it's probably in the Lord's grace and mercy that we don't fully realize how, how fierce the battle is and how much we're under attack. But, but it's important to remember that the battle is raging um, and, and it's fierce and it's happening right now. And, and the catechism, oh, that's right, I don't have my slides up there. The catechism tells us that. The catechism says, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. Never stop attacking us. That, that there are enemies who are out there and they want to destroy us. And they are always attacking us. They never let up. The world will continue to attack you. Satan will continue to attack you. And your own flesh, your, your sinful nature, your sinful heart will keep on attacking you. And it won't relent. And you know, I think for the most part, we're, we're aware of this, this battle, this kind of warfare with the world because we can see it, right? So Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we see that. Jesus said the world hates you. The world's going to persecute you. The world's going to attack you. There's going to be this conflict, this battle. And, And so we see that, right? We're aware of persecution of Christians around the world. We're aware of that battle. And yet the reminder this morning is that's part of the battle. Uh, but there's much more to it. We're also attacked by Satan and his spiritual forces. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's true. That that's part of the battle that's raging right now. There are cosmic powers involved in this battle. There are spiritual forces arrayed against us. And they're waging war. And their desire is to uh, destroy you. And yet, again, we sometimes think, okay, the world's attacking us and Satan's attacking us, but then we forget about the third part, that, that our own flesh, uh, our own sinful nature is attacking us. And I want to read, it's a pretty well-known passage from Romans, but listen to this struggle that the Apostle Paul is talking about, this battle that he's experiencing with his own sinful nature. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can hear Paul's wrestling match and say, yeah, I've been there, right? 
I want to follow God. I, I want to walk on paths of righteousness. I want to live the life he's called me to live. I desire to do that, but then I keep doing these things. And I don't really want to do them, but I just keep doing them. And I'm wrestling with it. And, and I end up doing this, and I go, why did I do that? I didn't want to do that. And this wrestling match is going on, and that's a battle. It's a battle with your sinful nature that's always going to keep attacking you. And the goal is to try to actually destroy you. It's part of the war that we're facing against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And yet, in the midst of this, I want to clarify something, because I think when I talk about this kind of battle that we're in, this kind of conflict that we're in, most people can kind of easily think about trials and difficulties in those moments, right? We can, we can think about times when the world has attacked us, right? We can think about times when, when Satan has come and made us feel unworthy and unforgivable, right? We can even think about times when our inner desires have kind of led us astray and led us down a path. But, but what we don't often think about is the warfare and the battle that rages in prosperity, which is just as deadly, if not more deadly, at times. Uh, think, about, think about all of the sins that the Bible talks about that can only be committed in a time of prosperity. Gluttony, which will kill you. Greed, selfishness, love of money, self-reliance. Um, think about, oh, as you read through Scripture, think about the number of times where God blessed his people, they prospered, and then they said, we're doing really good. We don't need you anymore. And they turned away from God. That was a battle plan as well. That, that's a war. And so prosperity can destroy you just as quickly as adversity can. Um, Calvin says this, John Calvin, the temptations that we face are both on the right hand and on the left. On the right, when riches and power and honors, which by their beauty and semblance of good, they dazzle the eyes of men and entice them, so that they're caught by their snares and intoxicated by their sweetness, and they forget God. Prosperity. Then on the left, when offended by hardship and bitterness of poverty and disgrace and contempt and afflictions and other things of that description, people despond. And they cast away their confidence and their hope, and they're at length totally estranged from God. Um, difficulty. There's temptation on both sides. There's attack and warfare, and, and all of them are coming at you all the time. Um, and the only way to fight the battle is to pray the prayer that we're looking at this morning. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? That's, what, that's what Paul prayed at the end of that Saul, uh, Romans 7 passage. It's not the same, but he cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this evil that I'm experiencing in my flesh? And he says, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. says the only, the only way he could ever find deliverance in that battle is by God through Jesus Christ. He says there's nowhere else that he would find deliverance in that battle. Nowhere. 
And uh, I think sometimes when we hear that, like there's nowhere else to find deliverance, we, we kind of react a little bit. We think, well, there's somewhere. Um, because there's something about this battle that, that seems to bring out our pride. Because we don't like to admit that we can't fight this battle on our own, right? So the, the world attacks us, and uh, we don't want to seem weak. And so he's like, no, I don't need any help. I got this on my own. I'm, I'm good. Right? Or, you know, your, your inner desires, you're, you're wrestling with sin. You're like, I don't want to look weak-willed like I struggle with this. And so I don't need any help. I've got this. I can, I can do this on my own. I'm strong enough. Right? Satan attacks you, and you think you can defeat him, and he's pretty smart and strong, way stronger than you are. We pretend like we can do all these things, and we lose because of it. Um, and the catechism just kind of shoots us straight. It's one of the reasons why I love it. It says, by ourselves, we're too weak to hold our own even for a moment. I mean, that's less than a second. <laughs> um, that, that it's a reminder you're not strong enough to fight this battle on your own. And if you think that you're strong enough and you try to, to fight this battle on your own, you will not even stand for a second. You will lose, you will fail, you'll fall apart instantly. Not even for a breath. And, and so because we, we keep thinking we're stronger than we are, we keep losing the battle. And, and so Paul in Corinthians, he says this, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. He says, if, you're, if you think you can enter into this battle and you're strong enough to do it on your own, he said, you better see reality clearly because if you do that, you will fall. Um, and so we, we try to go into these battles thinking that we're strong and we keep losing it because we're trying to do it in our own strength, um, in our own abilities, relying on ourselves. And that's why Scripture repeatedly says, pride goes before the fall. And, you know, I think, I think, this is a little speculation, but I think this is what happened uh, with the Apostle Peter when he denied Jesus. Uh, listen to his attitude as he's talking to Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me tonight. And Peter says, they might fall away because of you, but I will never fall away. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. <laughs> Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says, no. Even if I die, I will never deny you. And then all the disciples were like, yeah, neither will we. And, and you kind of hear this tone in Peter like, I'm strong enough to do this. I, I would never make that kind of a mistake. But then he did. He, he did that thing he never thought he would do because he never thought that he would do it. Um, and I think Peter would have been in a significantly better place if Jesus would have said, you're going to deny me tonight. And he would have said, Lord, help me not do that. I might. I'm weak. Please help me. Um, it would have been very different. Instead, he said, I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. Um, and you know, that's really what this whole prayer is about. It, 
I mean, the whole, Lord's, the whole Lord's prayer is about this, but especially this part, is coming to our God and saying, you know what, I'm weak, I'm frail, I'm not strong enough, and so I'm going to lay my, my life in your hands and trust you to deliver me from whatever temptation, whatever evil, whatever trial that comes my way. If, if prosperity comes my way and leads me into temptation, I'm not strong enough to handle that, so I trust you, Lord, to, to deliver me from that temptation. And if difficulty comes my way, I'm going to trust you to, to deliver me from that temptation. And if I'm attacked from the world or the flesh or the devil, Lord, I'm not strong enough to do that. I'm just going to lay my life in your hands and cry out to you and say, please, deliver me. And, and the beautiful thing is, he does it. He does it differently every time. It's not the same, but he will uh, deliver us. We come to him weak and frail, and, and we say, Lord, I need you. And then he gives us what we need in that moment. That the catechism says, when we're praying this, we're praying, Lord, uphold us. Make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit so that we will not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle. And we can have confidence that when we pray that, Lord, uphold us, give me the strength I need through your Holy Spirit, we have the confidence that he'll do that so that we don't, so we're not defeated. We don't lose in this battle. Um, He gives us exactly what we need when we need it. You know, there's this, uh, there's this little story, it's just a few verses in 2 Corinthians where, where the Apostle Paul talks about this, this really difficult time in his life. Um, and listen to, listen to the way he describes it. He says, uh, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Okay, this, is, this is a hard struggle. They despaired of life. They thought they had received the sentence. Of, they thought, we're going to die. And they despaired of life. That means they almost kind of thought maybe death would be better than this. And then he says this, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us. From such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. And you could see, he said, we, we were in that trial where we thought we were going to die. We had no way to get through it. It was completely beyond our strength. And he said, the reason we were there was to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on our God who raises the dead. And then he delivered us. And then they said, and then he delivered us again. And now we have our hope and confidence set that he will continue to deliver us over and over and over and over again. Um, It's really powerful stuff. It it gives us this, the, the paradox of the Christian faith is recognizing that we are very weak, but our God is very strong. And so we trust him, and we just keep going. And God just keeps giving us what we need. And you know, um, I want to make sure we don't miss a part of this, because sometimes 
when we talk about this warfare that's happening in our, in our lives, a lot of people kind of envision like, well, what I'm going to do in the midst of this warfare is I'm going to like do those old like school things where you hide under your desk. And like, I'm just going to hide under my desk and say, Lord, deliver me. And then if I just hold on to here and the Lord just protects me under my desk until I die, that would be great. Um, but that's not why we're being asked for the Lord to deliver us. The catechism says we're praying, Lord, uphold us, make us strong with the strength of your spirit so that we may firmly resist our enemies. Um, It's not deliver me so that I can be delivered. It's Father, deliver me so that I can live to fight another day. Uh, Deliver me so that I continue to in this battle. Deliver me from my sin so that I can continue to fight against sin in my life. Continue to deliver me from Satan so that I can continue to resist him firmly um, until the end. And so we're, we're asking to be delivered so that we can continue to live, uh, continue to, to fight. And, uh, you know, I've, I've actually studied spiritual warfare a lot. This is like a little teaser into some spiritual warfare stuff. Um, I've studied a lot of spiritual warfare. Most Reformed pastors don't like to talk about it. I don't know why, what that is. But um, I've studied it a lot. I've read a lot of books, and not many of them are Reformed. So I've read from a lot of different denominations about uh, spiritual warfare. Um, and uh, I've learned a lot, and I've appreciated a lot about spiritual warfare. But the, there's one thing that I think gets missed, and, and I think it's a pretty glaring omission. Um, and, and, I, and I see this as I talk to people about spiritual warfare, that, that most people uh, kind of assume that when we're doing spiritual warfare, that our primary weapon is prayer, because prayer is a spiritual weapon. Um, and, and don't please don't hear me downplaying prayer. It's not what I'm doing. Um, but Scripture gives us a different weapon, and, and I think prayer and this other weapon uh, work together. Paul says we're given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, and, and I believe prayer and the Word of God actually aren't separated from one another. They're, they're deeply connected. And, uh, but, but when I see a lot of people emphasize prayer as the primary weapon, then the Word of God gets forgotten about sometimes. And yet, in, in Scripture, we're told the weapon that you've been given to fight this spiritual battle is the Word of God. You're given all this other armor, right? A, a, a helmet and a breastplate and a shield to, to kind of defend yourself, to, to protect yourself, but the only weapon you're given is, is a sword. And so, and I think we know that when we, when we think about it. When, when Jesus was in the desert and he was in a battle with Satan... What was the weapon that he used? The word of God, right? He quoted scripture back to Satan. When the apostles were being attacked by the world, what was their weapon? The word of God. They preached the gospel, right? When we're told that when we're having this battle and this wrestling match with our own sinful nature and our own inner desires, what weapon are we told to use? The word of God. And then that gets combined with the power of prayer. Um, and so, you know, you find yourself kind of wrestling with these internal sins, your sinful nature is attacking you. You 
come to God in prayer and you use the word of God. You say, Lord, deliver me from this evil because I know that this will kill me because you've told me in your word that it will kill me. You've told me that greed and gluttony and a whole host of other things, that these will kill me. So protect me from it. You've told me that the wages of sin is death. Protect me from that, right? You, you find yourself being attacked by Satan. You have a difficulty in your life. You, you come to God and you pray and you say, Lord, deliver me from this evil. You've promised that you would never leave me nor forsake me. You've promised that you will lead me through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? You, you pray and you use God's word as a weapon. And, and as you do that, you feel your strength come back. But it's not your strength. It's the strength of the Holy Spirit equipping you to fight the battle. And that's the only way. The only way you will ever win this battle. Not with your own strength, not with your own weapons, but to stand in God's strength and use his weapons and then he will do it. And, and in Peter, and I love always listening to what Peter says because he was such a mess. Um, but he says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, right? This is the guy that, that we've seen Peter attacked by the world. We've seen Peter attacked by Satan. We've seen him attacked by his own sinful nature. And he says, you know what I've learned? The Lord knows how to rescue us from all of these trials. And if you cry out to him, he will do it. No question. And that's why the catechism says when we're praying this, we're praying that God would uphold us and that he would make us strong until we finally win the complete victory. That that will happen. That, that we will win the complete victory eventually. That, that the Lord knows how to deliver us from these trials and he'll deliver us over and over and over and over again until we find complete victory. And that victory will happen in the world. And that victory will happen even in your own sinful life. One day, God will win that victory in your life and sin will be no more. And he'll win that victory over Satan, right? We just, we pray that. His kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven one day and defeat Satan's kingdom. And, and you know, it's, it's a, this reminder for us because, you know, we, we get in life and, and we get in the midst of this battle and there are days when we just throw our hands up and we're like, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of fighting this battle. I don't even know if I'm making any progress. I'm sick of being beat down. I'm sick of... I'm just done. And the reminder that, no, we win, <laughs> reminds you not to quit. And it's a reminder that God always finishes what he starts. Uh, there's this beautiful passage in Philippians where he, Paul says this, I'm sure of this, he says, I'm sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at that day of Jesus Christ. God always finishes what he starts. He, he started something in you in faith, and he will finish that battle. And he'll finish his battle with Satan, and he'll finish his battle with the world. 
and he'll finish it. And, and so we don't then live as people who are beat down and people who are defeated. We, we live and act as those who will eventually have complete victory. Not because we were strong, not because we were smart, but because Jesus Christ has obtained that victory for us. He lived, died, rose again from the dead. And then when he did that, he said, I defeated the world, I defeated Satan, and I defeated the sin in your life. If you look to me by faith and trust, I will defeat them in your life too. It may take a while for me to completely defeat them, but I'll start defeating them now. And one day you'll have complete victory. So now you live. You rest in him. You trust in him. You rely on him. You keep crying out to him to deliver you from evil. Keep grabbing hold of the word of God. And eventually he'll bring you to complete victory. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you recognizing our weakness and also recognizing that we often don't want to think of ourselves as weak. We want to portray ourselves as strong and independent and capable and able to do everything that we want to do. And yet, Father, we recognize that that ends up putting us in a position where we don't rely on you and we actually lose the battle. So, Father, we ask your forgiveness for our own self-assurance and self-reliance, for not truly resting in you. So, Father, not only do we want your forgiveness, we ask that you deliver us from this, and we ask that you would uphold us and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we would live each day resting and trusting in you to deliver us, that we would live each day in your strength, live each day holding on to the word of God in prayer and using them in this battle and that we would live each day trusting you not only to deliver us but trusting you to eventually win complete victory in our own lives um, and in the world. So Father, help us to live that way. Help us to rest in you and trust you. Give us peace and give us strength and give us courage. And Father, deliver us from evil. And all God's people said, Amen.